So we're looking at Matthew 7 and we're looking at verses 21 to 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name did, and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as their teachers of the law. Welcome along. My name's Glenn, and uh, if you're visiting here, I'd love to be able to catch up with you at the end of the service and uh, get to know you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come around your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts. Help us to see. Help us to see what you are trying to say to us. We pray that your spirit would be relentless in saying it to us all the way through the week until we listen. We pray that your spirit would work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have you ever stopped to think about the number of people that you are friends with, that you're in a relationship with? If you think about the number of people that you come into contact with each day, all at varying levels of relationship, I think you'd be surprised at how many there really are. Some people are just acquaintances, aren't they? Because we have very fleeting contact with them and, and, and that limits how deep the relationship gets to. Others, we have relationship with them because of our daily routine. It forces us to be together. We, we turn up to work and they're there, or to the classroom, or, or maybe even to this church. And so the depths of the, those relationships is a little bit deeper, but still we wouldn't class them as intimate friends. You probably also have relationship with people that is very infrequent, but because of your history with them, because of the ground that you've travelled with them, the depth of the relationship that you once had with them, you'd class them still as a good friend. Some people we don't need to see every day, but when we do see them, we're able to pick up where we left off. Do you have friends like that? I know I've got friends who I've walked closely with for 20 years, but because one of us moved away and we don't have the opportunity to get together very often, um, but we do when we get together, our friendship is still comfortable and deep. Do you know what I mean? What about social media contacts? How many of friends do you have on Facebook? 
Would you say all of them are friend friends or are most of them just social contacts? I was shocked to look at the list of friends on my social media and found out that apparently I have 358 friends on my social media. And I don't actually think that's a lot by comparison with many people. But many of my deepest friends in life are not friends with me on Facebook. You see, the thing is that all of us only have a certain capacity for maintaining relationship. And it varies between, between us depending on how God wired us. But each of us has a limited number of people that we have the cognitive and emotional capacity to maintain a meaningful relationship with before we just get overloaded. The British anthropologist Robin Dunbar proposed that that number is somewhere around 150. He wasn't talking about Facebook friends, that we never really interact with face-to-face, but if we limit the definition of relationship to being ones that we would feel comfortable dropping in on for a coffee uninvited, then that, that number gets a lot smaller, doesn't it? the average person becomes overwhelmed when their network of people that they maintain relationship to that level at goes beyond 150. But that still includes relationships that are pretty superficial, doesn't it? Because most of us can talk comfortably about the weather or what we've done during the week without any trouble, and yet we still don't go to any great level of intimacy in that relationship. The people we have intimate relationship with are different. We spend more time with them. And we talk about more weighty issues with them. And when there's someone whose uh, friendship we value greatly, we make sacrifices and pursue the opportunity to spend time with them because we don't want to let that relationship die. Today, I want to talk about the type of relationship that you have with God. What category of relationship have we got him in? Is he a Facebook friend? Is he someone we spend time with uh, because our social activities at church or Bible study mean that he comes up? Is he someone who was really important to us once, who we turn to every now and then and are pleasantly surprised to find that he's comfortable and helpful when we catch up? Or is he one of the relationships that we pursue every day because we want that friendship to grow? And if we find that our relationship with God is more superficial than it should be, how do we go about transferring it into one of the deeper categories? How do we change that relationship from being superficial and passing to being a deep, meaningful relationship? There was a TV show that we used to like watching at home called God Friended Me about a podcaster who was searching for the answers to life and and then one day on his social media he got a, a friend request from someone calling themselves God. As entertaining as the show was, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about God at its core. God does not want to be your Facebook friend. He's not interested in having a superficial friendship with you or anyone. 
The only kind of relationship that God's interested in is where we are 100% all in. In the book of Matthew that we've just read, uh, Jesus had just been talking about the true and the false prophets and then he turned his attention to the topic of true and false disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. Those words are meant to make us sit up and pay attention. They tell us that it's possible for us to go through life doing all the things that make us look like a Christian and still not make it into heaven. We can even say that we've accepted Jesus. We can pray the prayer of, of repentance. We can get baptised, but still miss the point of relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the only one who will decide whether we get into heaven. He's the gate through which every single one of us will enter. He tells us that in John 10. So the only opinion that matters is his. And the bottom line is that what matters to him is whether we are real, genuine, ongoing friends with him. Does he know us? Not does he know about us, because Jesus and God, uh, Jesus is God, and God knows everything about everyone, right? The Psalms tell us that he had intimate knowledge of each and every one of us before we were even born. He knows the number of hairs on our head, which for some of us is pretty easy, but it's still something that we don't know about ourselves. Of course God knows about each and every person who exists. He doesn't have to be Facebook friends with us to prove that. What Jesus is talking about is a far deeper level of relationship than that. Think about it like this. When we start a new job, we don't really know much about that job, do we? There are things that we haven't experienced in that job yet. So we tend to make mistakes at first. And over time we can go one of two ways. We can turn up to, each, uh, to work each day and not really care very much about what we're doing. Or we care about the bits that interest us, like collecting our pay or stopping for lunch break and that sort of thing. But we never really grow skillful in that job because we don't care about the details of getting it right. We don't engage with it. The second way we can go is that we commit ourselves to knowing our job well so that we become masters at it. We train and practice the skills needed to do our job well. We devote our attention to it 100% because we care about the standard of work that we produce. And over time, we get to the point where we become the master of our job rather than our jobs 
being haphazard and outside of our control. We really know our job well. Well, let's remind ourselves of what's written in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. We are the handiwork of Jesus Christ. He was there at the beginning. And he created all things. Everything that was made was made by him, through him, and for him. He is the one that created you and me. Have a look at what Paul wrote in Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is ongoing. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. You see, when we enter into relationship with Jesus through faith in what he did to save us, we are reconciled to God. We receive salvation from him. But we also have to recognise that and accept that his lordship And authority is over us as his creations. We acknowledge that we are his handiwork. Not the random result of evolutionary processes, not the result of the chaos of the world, and not self-determining creatures with autonomy over our own destinies. These are philosophical lies meant to drive a wedge in our relationship with God. We are the son's handiwork, the result of his creative skills. And we're not completed yet. When we become Christians, we become new creations and the creation process within us is jump-started once again. The ongoing work of sanctification, the process of transforming us from the worldly creatures that we were into his likeness is the work of the Spirit Within us, we are works in progress. In other words, we are the ongoing creative work of Jesus' creation. And Jesus cares very deeply about his creation. So the type of relationship that he wants to have with you is one where we submit to the mastery of his work in us. He's looking for a relationship where he knows us because he knows his craft well and is committed to producing work of the highest standard. He wants to know us because he intends to finish the work that he began in us on the cross. He is a master of the work of creation and the only type of relationship he wants with us is one where he becomes our master, where he is the potter, And we are the clay. Being a true disciple of Jesus is a relationship where we submit to the ongoing work of transformation that he wants to complete in us. 
You see, knowing Jesus is like building a house, as we read in that passage. Jesus is the master builder, and we work under his direction to construct a life that is built on solid foundations rather than on sand. He just will not accept a casual relationship with us because it doesn't allow him to be who he really is. It doesn't allow him to fulfill the creative work that he wants to do in us. It's a very dangerous choice to make when we put our relationship with Jesus into the superficial category of friendships. And this is where the topic of spiritual disciplines comes up. Because spiritual disciplines are the tools that we use to transfer our relationship from the category of Facebook friend into one that meets the criteria that Jesus is looking for in a friend. They're vital to the well-being of our relationship with Jesus. They are how we come alive in Christ in the middle of all the death and chaos that's in the world. I promise you, without some form of spiritual discipline in your life, you will either starve to death as a Christian or you will stay a child for your entire life. I want to share with you some examples, some testimonies of people who engage with spiritual disciplines. Now, I spent, um, I've been a Christian about 45 years and I've spent a lot of time in different churches and I've had people try to tell me that unless your quiet time looks like this, you are not a good Christian. Unless you do this, you're not doing it right. And what I've learned over that 45 years is that what works for some people does not work for me. I have struggled to get up in the mornings and sit and read my Bible or pray or do anything spiritual. That does not work for me. I had to find what works for me that focuses my heart on submitting myself to the work of Christ. And so what I'm trying to do during this morning and next week is to show you a range of different things, different tools that you can use. And I'm not saying that you have to do all of them. And I'm not saying this is a formula that you must follow. But I'm saying do something. Do something to spend time with God, to put yourself under his creative hand. Now, someone in the church who, whose maturity of faith that I admire very much is Joan Hainsworth. So I've asked her to come up and she's going to talk about something that she does because she's got a lot of experience and a lot of maturity and we need to listen to this. Come up to the mic, Joan, so that people can hear you well. Good morning. 
I want to talk about some of my experiences and I think it'll be a lot more coherent if I read it rather than just try to cover everything and it certainly will take longer if I just don't read it. So here we go, I'm going to read it to you. I find that reading God's word in a version that speaks the same kind of English as I do is what helps me to realise how wonderful God is. The scriptures are spiritual food, so I needed to develop a habit of reading every day. My mind is clearest in the morning, so that's the best time for me. And it's less likely to be forgotten when something unexpected pops up, which it often does. Recently, someone said they needed to read the scripture itself first to allow God to speak to them, then later read whatever notes may have come with some system they are using. That is wise advice. Some words will jump out at you and you may, may be saying to yourself, is that so? I don't remember reading that before. Recently, my reading was in Psalm 23 and the version I am reading says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I thought it used to say, follow me. So what's the difference? Pursue means to follow with active desire, like chasing someone. And the Hebrew word does mean pursue. Someone could follow, like a child who does not want to go, and be lagging way behind. But God does not just happen to be on the same path. He's there with intent to look after me. When it says in some reading, start reading at verse X, I may find that doesn't give me enough background to know what it's talking about. So go back another paragraph or two and start there. And if it's interesting at the end, don't stop when they say that's the end of the reading. Keep going to find out what else happened next. The context alters the meaning. To read each day, I needed to plan ahead, so it's easy to do. When I just read a section of scripture each day, I found that if I missed a day, there was nothing to encourage me to catch up. But there are systems to help you read through the whole Bible. Now, um, Glenn's put some of them out in the cafeteria on the wall there. There's an, a number of pamphlets there to help you about this sort of thing. And if you want to know what Scripture Union suggests you do, ask Glenn Lawrence. Charles Lithgow used to read a different version each year so that he would pick up the different nuances in various versions. You need to start small and gradually expand to something more that you can do. Some of you will want a system that's online and tells you which passage to read each day, often with a parallel story to explain what they see as the main point. God might tell you something different. There are several different systems available. I have used devotional books which have a reading for every day and soon found that some authors were speaking on my wavelength while others were not. So I went to Kurong or Word Bookstore and I read different books till I found one that appealed to me. There are booklets that can be signed up to be received by mail or online. 
The church gets a few copies of Our Daily Bread each three months, and the centre page gives details of how to sign up to receive a booklet in your mailbox or the online equivalent. Now, all the ones that the church gets here have been taken at this moment. There aren't any out there to be taken, but they will come in again in a month or two when the new one starts. And they offer other helpful books too. They offer things like this, that you can send them a note or an email to say, please, I'd like one, and they'll send it to you. As you leave today, go into the cafeteria and have a look at the things that Glenn has put there. See what it says. See if you think that your time with the Lord could be improved a bit so that you're closer to him. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Something that I've used in the past um, is fasting. Anyone ever done fasting before? And um, fasting is something that's scriptural. It's, it, we read about it in, in the Bible. Um, for example, Moses fasted for 40 days, which is an extreme kind of fast. That's, that's what they, you would call a supernatural kind of thing. Um, King David fasted. We read about that in the Psalms quite regularly. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And we read about that in Matthew 4 too. Um, the Jews normally would only fast during the daytime and then break the fast at night time. So there are no set rules and, and they never went without water because your body has demands that it needs to be able to survive. But some of the benefits of fasting include that it is actually a way of humbling ourselves before God. Um, we read in Ezra uh, chapter 8 that Ezra actually said that uh, during his, his uh, situation he proclaimed a fast so that he would humble the, the whole group before God. There's something about fasting as a spiritual discipline that brings humility to our relationship with God. David also wrote that he wept and humbled his soul with fasting. Now, I think the reason why it humbles our souls by fasting is because it teaches us that we don't... There are a lot of things in this world that we can do without. But God is not one of them. We need God for sustenance. And then when in, in Matthew 4, when Jesus was finished his fast, do you remember that Satan came to him and tried to tempt him? There's enormous spiritual opposition when you get involved in a, in a spiritual discipline. Expect it to not be easy. And so a fast actually, it's an act of will. And it trains us to, to strengthen our resolve and our decisions to follow God. There's something about that physical activity that has a flow-over effect into our souls. The Bible says that we need to worship God in body, mind and spirit. It, it, it's, a, it, it's an all-encompassing thing. And so when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, 
He, uh, he said this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, go tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He got it because he's God. Fasting teaches us that the one thing that we can't do without is God. And it doesn't have to be food to teach us that. If fasting from food doesn't suit your health um, conditions and that sort of thing, choose something else. It might be to fast from TV or fast from social media or fast from the internet or, or whatever it is. Fasting from something that is just a an egocentric kind of thing. It focuses on you. But don't just go with denial. The passage that we're going to look at next week from Timothy teaches that it, you don't just deny yourself something, you've got to fill it with something good. Turn away from this and pursue this. Run away from the things of the world, pursue the things of God. And so one of the things that you could fill that spot with is reading, which is another spiritual discipline that has really helped me in the past. And um, you've got to fill that void because then it becomes such a battleground between you and yourself and Satan. It's an attack point. But filling that void with something that is spiritually edifying, that is from God, that focuses you on God actually turns a self-centered activity into something that is doing what it's meant to do and bringing your focus on who God is. So there are many books that are out there, but not all of them are good food. Just like there are many places that you can stop and get a meal, but not all of them are good for you. So you need to be discerning in what you read. You need to, if you find an author that is really biblically sound, pursue things that they've written. Some of the authors that I love to, to read are um, Paul Tripp, um, John Ortberg, Dane Ortland. Um, these are guys who use scripture and what they do is they direct your focus to God. It's not a self-help thing. This is about direct, giving you a bigger picture of who God is. So, and, and study of a book... I find works better for me than listening to a podcast or a sermon or anything like that because I go at my pace. I can stop at the end of a paragraph and go, whoa. And I can focus on what does that even mean? And I can let it percolate and, and work down through my soul. And I can ask questions of it, whereas a podcast or a sermon just moves on at a pace set by the person speaking. Studying a book gives us something meaty to do with that time that we have set aside. But it also gives us something meaty to talk about with other people in our lives. Hey, I've just finished reading this book. It's about this. Do you want to read it? I think it's really great. Yeah, it gives us a connection point where we can start to share our faith with each other. So here's me sharing my reading with you. One of the books I know I've shared with you in the past is Gentle, Gentle and Lowly, um, Dane Ortland. I found this 
like a balm, like an ointment that soothed my soul because in all the anxiety of the world, this just focused on the gentleness and the humility of Christ that we see in scriptures. Another one that was like it that I've read recently is called Truth on Fire by Adam Ramsey. Again, it's just taking scriptural stuff and going, look at what it says about God. And the idea is that you look at him until your heart starts to catch fire again with desire for him and you want to pursue him again. Another one that actually had a huge effect on me over 20 years ago is uh, the, the title says it all. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That book is to blame for me taking my family on a journey of faith where I, I, I came away with and saying, God, okay, you've got me and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And we bought a business that was losing 30 grand a year and we lived by faith in God for 10 years with no security. That book is to blame. <laughs> Another one that's huge is a great author, J.I. Packer, wrote Knowing God. And it, it goes through the different characteristics of God. It's, a very, it's, it's an older author, so the language is uh, probably a little bit older. I found it okay. I found it very accessible. But it's, it's also very... Um, you've read it, have you? Yeah. Would you say it's, it's probably a little bit more cerebral than some of the other books around? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's accessible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it's hugely meaty. J.I. Packer has got some depth in what he writes, and so that one I, I sort of took at a slow pace, and 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 took regular stops. And okay, I need to work through this one. These are books that I've read that have I've found very helpful. Um, and what I love to do that as often as I can, which is not as often as I should is uh, we've got an armchair down in our downstairs room and I love to go and sit in that when before Catherine or everyone gets home and uh, just in the peace and quiet there I sit and I read a few chapters and uh, it's almost like I'm sitting down having a coffee with God. Just It's, it's relaxing, it centres me, it focuses me, it, it brings me back into a true perspective of life, God's perspective, instead of getting caught up and washed along in the, in the pace of life. Because trust me, the pace of life is hectic in order to stop us from spending time with God. It's a tactic of the world that, that, that Satan uses. Make life so busy that you've got no time to engage with the most significant person that you can ever have relationship with. And many of us just go barreling through life, ricocheting from one thing to the next. And what spiritual disciplines are about is actually taking hold of responsibility for our lives, taking hold of our responsibility for our relationship with God and going, this matters. And if it matters, then I need to change what I'm doing so that it actually has the right priority in my time. That's what this is about. So would you pray with me? Father, as we, as we think about the spiritual disciplines and we listen to the call that comes through 
in your words that you spoke uh, in Matthew. It's both shocking to us, it's terrifying to us that we could take you so superficially and miss the point and waste the opportunity that you're giving us. An opportunity of relationship with you right here and now that not only gives us a secure future, but it gives us a, a changed life right now and it equips us for the mission that you have for us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to take you seriously. In Jesus' name, amen.